Astrophysiastrix by Words Read by Lyra348 Summary An innocent observation by Adam Young opens an extremely unwelcome can of worms, and now Crowley and Aziraphale find themselves forced to have a conversation they've always hoped to avoid. The war to begin all wars left scars on every level, but the skills Crowley thought he'd left behind when he fell from heaven might be able to mend them, just a bit. Author's Notes For Nightvalian Nightvalian's gift for the 2019 Godomeng's holiday swap. Sorry I couldn't do that Regency AU for you, but I tried smooshing two of your other prompts together. 1. Aziraphale suffers from an injury from the war with the Fallen. Crowley doesn't know about it because he hides it. 2. Touch starved Aziraphale because heaven is cold and distant post-fall, and a touch from anyone is such a wonderful thing. This is the first fic I've completed and posted in almost a decade. I hope you like it. Thanks to Human Shapes Stress, Dr. Science, and Navi for helping me hash out an idea, and Start Night for tag wrangling. Thanks to my favorite slutty beta, Robin the Magpie writes, always being there for my stories. Kissy face. It was Adam's fault, really. He hadn't meant anything by it, of course. It was just that the boy was a natural instigator, always looking for the unusual and constantly asking the kinds of questions other people wished to avoid. Normally, this was something Crowley appreciated about the boy. Unfortunately, while as a trait it was hilarious when he when directed at other people, it was distinctly uncomfortable when applied to himself or anything that affected him directly. Take today for instance. It had been a nice day when he'd arrived with Aziraphale in Tadfield to help Anathema identify a mysterious object she'd encountered on one of her occult investigations, which had been quite easily done. They'd had a nice picnic after that, including a nice conversation with the young witch and her hapless husband that had drifted off eventually into a nice bit of cloud gazing and watching the dam run around on the grass. In short, there had been a general theme of niceness to the proceedings, which evaporated completely when Adam cocked his head, looked at the Xerophil as though trying to squint at something far away, and asked in all innocence a question that was nice in one sense of the word and not nice at all in another. Doesn't that hurt? Aziraphale looked confused. Doesn't what hurt? There's a part of you that's all... Adam struggled to find words for which human language was wholly inadequate. Squiggly, but he finished lamely. Thank your buddy, you, he said, spiraling his arms out in an expensive gesture. The bigger you. The angel bit. There's a bit of that bit that just sort of ends where I don't think it ought to. I reckon that must hurt, right? But you seem okay. Startled, Crowley couldn't help looking. Just a quick peek. Aziraphale hit it quickly in a swirl of eyes and feathers, but not fast enough to avoid Crowley seeing that the angel's grace was indeed damaged. One of its many wings, the 20th dimensional structure in question wasn't exactly a wing per se, but since the English language is not equipped to accurately describe the appendages of ethereal beings, the word will have to suffice. Was clipped. 
elegant fractals ending in a snarl of terminated probabilities. An obvious deformity. How could he not have known all those millennia? Thing was, that was the first time for everything, and it had simply never occurred to him to look at Aziraphale with his other eyes. But he's were part of the whole Earth gig, since their celestial forms were a bit useless for all this matter, linear time, and not exploding the heads of mortals with a friendly hello business without them. And beings with bodies and a general sense of each other's energy had no particular need to peek at what was under the hood, so to speak. Even when the angel had appeared before him discorporated on the day of the apocalypse, his form had still been folded up in the pattern of his beloved body, molded by centuries of habit, and Crowley had been too drunk or too distracted to look below that surface layer. Now that he was looking, the demon's thought turned inevitably towards the fact that there were very few ways an angel's grace could be damaged like that, even as his brain frantically tried to put on the brakes and, failing that, find the emergency exit. Adam? Isn't all of him the angel bit, actually? If he is an angel, although really that just seems like a relic of an outmoded belief system if you ask me, Wensleydale's completely unreasonable reason snapped Crowley out of it. This was a bit of an out of the frying pan and into the fire situation, since it meant he was now looking directly at his earfell's face, rather than through it, and the angel's expression was like being stabbed in the soul. Well, I didn't ask you, Vance. And yeah, I reckon that his body is angel too, but there's an angel here bit to him, and it's important like the bit of the iceberg you don't see. But he's alright here! Are you trying to say some of him is in the ocean? That doesn't make any sense, said Brian. He means in the astral plane, stupid! Pepper said, with all the confidence of someone who had been born in a commune, and whose mother still had a few New Age angelology books on the shelf, for all time's sake. That's enough out of all of you, Anathema cut in. Staring is rude, and so is commenting on someone's body, no matter how many dimensions it exists in. Adam contrived to look sheepish. Uh, sorry, Mr. Fowl. It's quite alright, my boy, the angel said in a tone that suggested it was several days right away from alright. You didn't mean any harm, I'm sure. Crowley tried not to wince at the hollowness of the angel's voice. As the Bentley roared towards London, Crowley was thinking about things that he and Aziraphale didn't talk about for the sake of their friendship. There were quite a lot of these, most of which were perfectly natural given their personalities, and some of the habits that they've acquired from close proximity to humanity. But there were also the things we don't talk about. Chief among the unspoken Chernobyl exclusion zones of their ancient hearts was the we do not talk about the war, no, you don't need to ask which war, because we both know exactly which war we are not discussing in any way. The problem with not talking about the war was that it made it hard to talk about how you were not talking about it. Which made it hard to even think about, which was precisely the state of things they were both happy with most of the time. This left them both woefully unprepared to cope with moments like the present, when neither of them were happy, 
and Crowley would really like to just desperately ignore the entire situation until it went away. He couldn't. As the angel continued to sit in uncharacteristic silence beside him, his treacherous mind kept returning to Aziraphale's terrible wound, and his own blessed ignorance of it. The war hadn't been kind to anyone, and while he'd gotten the shorter end of the stick in that regard, he should have known. Doesn't that hurt? Did it hurt? It looked painful. Crowley had his own scars, but nothing so spectacular. And who did that to you? And oh, Satan, his fingers were gripping the wheel so tightly it might break, and he feels fire in his head and on his breath, and... Crowley! Tire squealing. Rolled spinning, turn missing, the Bentley spun out and came to rest facing the wrong way by the side of the quiet country road. Crowley, are you alright? The angel's eyes were round and worried. That's why I should be asking you and shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, I made it worse. Uh, uh, I... As fell sighed and slumped against the window. Please just, let's go home. Yeah, sorry said Crowley, unsure what was worse, that the angel wouldn't look at him, or that he wasn't even a little bit snippy about his driving. The rest of the drive home was, uniquely in the near century of Anthony Crowley's time as a motorist, taken at the speed limit. bother waiting for an invitation when he pulled up to the bookshop. Just rushed over to open first the Bentley's door, then the shops, and followed the angel in. Aziraphale visibly relaxed once they crossed the threshold, but the amount of ringing going on in the vicinity of his hands would have given a church bell a headache. Well, a drink never went amiss, eh? The bright burdenness of his voice was a warning, but Crowley couldn't help himself. He curled it close as the angel made for the wine cooler. Crowley. Yes? You're hovering. Uh... I only mention it because I'd quite like you to stop. Ah. Neither of them moved. There wasn't so much an elephant in the room as there was a rearing circus, complete with clouds. All of them sad. Six thousand years, and they were still just rubbish at this. But while... Crowley had never been particularly brave, there was always a reserve of courage in his heart for Aziraphale. He reached out and cringed when he felt the angel flinch at the touch of his hand, but felt obliged to press on. Angel, about what happened today, what Adam said. I'm sorry, whatever happened to you? You know, I hardly feel it anymore. I haven't thought about it in a long while. Funny, how much a body can make you forget. Hides any number of things. He didn't turn around, one head frozen on the cooler, the other clenching and unclenching at his side. Probably swallowed. It does hurt, though, doesn't it? The angel turned and brushed Chloe's hand irritably off his shoulder. Oh, what does it matter? It was a long time ago. It can't be healed. There is no point in discussing it. Crowley's own freight temper began to overflow. If you think I'm leaving you here with shaking hands to stare off into the middle distance, you've got another thing coming. Crowley. He couldn't hold back the question burning his heart anymore. Who did this to you? Aziraphale snapped, suddenly and completely. You did! Your side! He snarled 
and then Crowley was drowning, pulled down by the treacherous undertow of the angel's memory. The hosts of heaven stood waiting, their cohorts gleaming in ultraviolet and gold. There was a feeling in the air that could have been described as the moment right before a storm, but storms hadn't been invented yet, and so the assembled angels couldn't put a name to what they were sensing, and that made them even more nervous. Nervousness was quite novel in and of itself, although the discontent of the rebels had given everyone ample opportunity to get used to the feeling recently. The Principality Aziraphale felt a responsibility to cheer up the members of his platoon, but wasn't having a lot of luck. Awful lot of shouting, said Niriel. It'll come down to a fight. Come now, chin up. No need to be so grim. Oriel shook her feathers irritably. Principality, there's no need in pretending. Samuel has done it this time and... Don't say the name, the little angel beside her squeaked. What? You think he's going to come out here and smite you if you say it too loud, silly fell? Anyway... They say he's got a new name. They all have. Niriel poked their comrade with a casual emanation. What was it again? Uriel sniffed. Something pretentious. Lightbringer, I think. Fed up, Azirfel put his foot down. That is enough chit-chat from all of you. Smarten up. Unless you want Sathkiel to come by and see us the only ones in company out of order. Uriel tilted three pairs of eyes at him, as though she was about to say something in so bored in it. But whatever it was, died in the din of discordant trumpets. What in the holy name? The rebels were coming, and at the head of their ranks were seraphim, shining like a black aurora. They were wrong. Aziraphale felt dread for the first time just looking at them. There was something changed. He thought it blasphemy that Samuel's followers would change their names, as though anyone could make and reshape the name that was at Angel's core. It would be like making her word untrue, and that could never be. Maybe that's what made the rebel Seraphim so terrible, made their rage-tinted flames seem hotter than they'd ever been before. There wasn't a spare moment to contemplate the change, however, since the speed and purpose in the rebel angels' movements left no doubt this was an attack, and if there had been any spare doubt to go around, it would have vanished as the thunderous song of the archangel's fury rang all the halls of heaven like a bell. Shields up! Aziraphale yelled as the enemy seraphim rained fire down from high above. The platoon obeyed and with admirable precision, considering that before today every skirmish had been in play, all that practice nothing but a pleasant diversion from their regular duties. All across the field, millions of silver shields went up, and the flames slid off, although the feeling of their heat on his wings made Aziraphale quail inside. Was this a distraction? An attempt to attack their calm before letting the numbers of the lower choirs overwhelm them? They couldn't really do much damage without coming down to engage. That was all the thought Aziraphale had time for before one of the loyalist seraphs soared towards the enemy ranks. White blazing flame at the ready, 
and promptly began to scream as soon as it touched one of its erstwhile brethren. It crashed riding into the army below, spreading red flame even as it was consumed, crushing lesser angels in its agony. Eons later, Aziraphale would read the first tales of mustard gas being used in the trenches of the continent and lock himself in his bookshop for a week. But that was only an echo of the shadow of what was happening around him now. Their ranks were breaking, the flames spreading exponentially, seemingly feeding on the pain and despair of every angel it touched, consuming them to extinction. Stay together, Aziraphale cried. Lock your shields and stay together or we haven't a chance. It was nigh futile. The cacophony of scream all around him made it impossible to think. He managed to drag Selifel behind his shield before the next wave bore down, and he saw Uriel staggering with a few of the others towards Principality Imamaya and her platoon, who'd raised the shield wall above themselves and were sticking grimly together. His eyes locked with the other Principality. The library! We can take shelter there, maybe. We have to keep everyone together and go slowly, or we're finished. Imamaya's crown shone with determination. I don't know what's happening, so that seems like as good a plan as any. She drew herself up in a fierce whirl of feathers. Right! Form up, you lot! Back towards the library and keep your shields locked or we all burn! The scattered remnants of the three Pratuns limped back to the shelter of the near-infinite halls of Heaven's library, where all the blueprints for creation were kept. In retrospect, knowing their adversaries' disdain for the plan, they really ought to have seen what was coming. The explosion rocked the base of the library steps, sending great hunks of heavy potentiality into the air and scattering the bedraggled angels. Aziraphale staggered, momentarily blinded. Here, boss, here, drilled Selifel. There was nothing for it but to follow her voice. Then he felt strong arms lifting his wings. Come on, sir, I've got you, Nereal growled. As his vision cleared, he saw Selifel gesturing desperately from behind a fallen pillar of firmament, not so far away. They would make it. They were fine. Then the seraphim flew over again, and nothing was fine at all. Nereal wailed as a burst of flame caught them squarely, and they pushed Aziraphale forward, but too late. The brush of unholy fire on the leading edge of a wing was enough to set it alight, and even as he staggered under cover, he felt it searing his grace, and knew with horrible certainty that it was only a matter of moments before it would consume him, and whatever rem remnants of this platoon that had taken refuge here. Cut it off, for God's sake, Sally, cut it off! But sir, I... Dirty. The little angel gibbered. Aziraphale grabbed her sword and swung it clumsily even as he whirled his wing around. Fortunately, Heaven's weapons were more than sharp enough. Half the limp fell away, stinking as it burned, and Aziraphale dropped the sword with a sob. But the pain was better, anything was better, than the anguish of the flames. Dimly, he heard Selifel sing a word, and Imamaya's strong voice joining her, and the pain ebbed. The other principality helped him down and brushed feathery tendrils away from his face. That took guts, brother. Now rest. 
for all the good it will do us. She ran a comforting ray of light down his wings and moved to check on the others taking shelter in the rubble. She won't. She can't let it end like this. Surely even the first among us can't tear down the throne. The pain was intense. Aziraphale tried to think of something pleasant to focus on. The quiet of the library. The paddock where he passed time feeding the prototype animals. And the trip he'd taken with a few of his friends to that lovely new Nebula Stellar archive had just unveiled. The new plants for Earth he snuck to look at during his filing. It was going to be lovely, so lovely. They felt it more than heard it. The rush of wind like a great tree falling and the thunder of a huge voice calling out. Then the tide of cries moved across the field, one voice amplifying another until it grew into a wall of sound. Michael, they cried. Michael has thrown down the dragon. Imamaya sprang up. That, that will fox them. Come on, we have to regroup. Even if they're a leader, Azirfa winced. Their leader is defeated. We can't go back out there with... But sir, look! Salifal pointed out from between the pillars shielding them. Teams of Ophanim were holding an enemy seraph on the end of their spears, a safe distance from the flames, and a cherub was moving into shadow word of destruction. The tide was turning, and with it something rose in Azirfal, icy cold enough to soothe the burn of his wound. Later, when he'd had considerably more experience, he'd possessed the vocabulary to name it Wrath. He stood up and drew his sword. Sally, pick up your sword. You shield too if you can find it. Everyone, circle up. The ragged band of angels made their way slowly across the battlefield, avoiding the burning remains of their comrades, gathering others as they went. The two principalities led from the front, one fierce and fiery, and the other made terrible by pain and anger. And the lower choirs of rebels fled before them. They saw what was left of Zadkiel when they passed by where the Dominion had fallen. Uriel they never saw again. They fought until they reached the very edge of heaven. Until they saw the rebel angels flinging themselves from the edge, wings burning as they fell endlessly. The terrible wrath fell away with them. Azirfal slumped against the pearly gates and wept at the ruin of heaven. He never wanted to hold a sword again. Crowley gasped as his consciousness was finally allowed to surface and clutched at the angel for balance. They were both shaking and sweating, off kilter from the maelstrom of emotions they just shared. Crowley never got the chance to recover, because Aziraphale grabbed him by the lapels and pushed him across the room with a strength it was normally easy to forget he possessed. Oof! Crowley's bag had hit a bookshelf. Tell me it wasn't you! Aziraphale, what? Tell me it wasn't you! Tell me you didn't burn my brothers all around me! Do I look like a brawly seraph? He shouted angrily. Do you think I could... That I ever would... He pushed the angel away. But one strong hand came back up and pushed him into the bookshelf again with no apparent effort. You're clever. Tell me it wasn't your idea. Was Hellfire one of your brilliant schemes? Have you lost your damn mind? 
Do you want to know where I was? What I was doing? Fine, take it. The memories of the angel, who would one day be the demon Crowley, weren't as clear as Aziraphale's. There was an overall sense of confusion, panic, and make this not be happening. This wasn't what he'd wanted. He'd wanted to wear black and goof off amongst the nebulae a bit more than Virtue Layla would, help, would like, and perhaps be permitted to ask why they were bullying things the way they were. Would an opportunity to take the piss out of stuffed shirts like Sandophon every once in a while really be too much to ask? Apparently it was. He'd felt himself changing. It wasn't unwelcome at first. He'd wanted to change. Anytime he wasn't gently shaping burning hydrogen into carefully folded lattices of space-time, he was bored, bored, bored. For all his life grace, he was hopeless at the interminable drills. And was there anything more tedious than singing the Almighty's praises? How much more confidence did an omniscient and omnipotent deity need, anyway? The Archangel had come down in all his splendor, down to the tiny office where not quite Crowley sat, at a deep brain drafting desk, wingtip to wingtip with Navarrael, plotting strings with stardust ink, and wishing he were out in the field feeling gravity between his primaries. What a rush! The angel liked gravity very much, and he had some ideas about using it to automate the business of star creation. His superiors had made some disparaging comments about craftsmanship, but he thought he could make the case that the end result was just as glorious, and you wouldn't end up with your fingertips pinched in Tesseract so much. It would also leave time for more creative projects. He was nervous about his presentation on pulsars, but if the Almighty could have his little joke on the upcoming human race... Cool wasn't in the concept stages yet, much less a prototype, and yet he'd known in some bone-deep way that Samuel was cool. The coolest. Yet he hung out with the guys as though he wasn't five quarters above them, as though they were friends. I may call myself Lucifer these days, but it's you who do the work of lighting the void he made. And to think, all that labor you lot put in, and he won't permit humankind on any of those worlds but one rocky one around the rather unremarkable yellow dwarf. Does the Almighty like you see the plan? Asked an angel from Dark Matter auditing eagerly. I heard he was making that world himself. It's true, and I'm not sure what he's thinking. I've only seen bits and pieces, of course. But he's recovered the thing in dehydrogen monoxide for some reason. And the star, well... Lucifer had brushed one of Uncrowley's wings casually and smiled. Not a patch on some of the stuff my little friend here is designing. Tell them about that new draft for the Quark Star, darling. It's fantastic. The starry-eyed angel's halo had never shone more brightly. Later, he wondered if this was what the planets he'd built felt like when they fell into orbit. The talk had grown darker. Almost Crowley had felt uneasy. But there was a way his friends would look at him when he said anything. All questions are welcome, 
the archangel had said. Yet it became clear that some were more welcome than others, though no one ever reprimanded him or laughed at his designs at Lucifer's soirees. Before he knew it, he'd felt as though he were drifting from his own name, watching an angel he didn't know go through the motions of his work, making uncomfortable modifications to his form to fit in with his new friends. And for what? Oh, it was all madness. They'd long ago stopped responding to the mustard rampant for drills. And when it sounded today, he stayed loafing by an observation station, listening to the cosmogonical harmonies of the latest batch of comets until some of his friends came by. Barnael had told him they were meeting up at the Hall of the Throne for something big, and by the time they'd reached the third gate, he'd been startled to see how many they were. They'd reached the fort, and he'd seen the ranks of angels in warrior get-up, ready to bar their way, so they let Lucifer through. In the uneasy moments that followed, someone had pressed a sword into his hand. The revolution begins now. Wait for the seraphim to fly over. That's the signal. He'd panic, slung his way to the back of the crowd, and ran. Not fast enough. He cursed his wings that wouldn't let him go fast enough. He was making for the office with the vague idea of looking busy until the fuss blew over when the screaming started. There was smoke, and it didn't like nothing he'd ever heard. His edges rambled as he made his way to the desk. He felt the whole place shake. But that was ridiculous. Heaven wasn't so flimsy, yet he was thrown roughly against the entryway nonetheless. It would be a long time yet before he knew what it was like to want to throw up, but the celestial equivalent was overtaking his form. Maybe, maybe he should take the plants, just his favorites, and head somewhere quiet. There was that cute triple system Nava had designed, a bit wonky on the orbits, but he'd always liked it. He had fond memories of assembling it with the lads, swimming and laughing in the flames of the red dwarf afterwards to celebrate a job well done. It was out of the way, nothing special in the grand team, grand team of things. The smell when he made his way back into the streets was unreal, and he almost dropped everything he was carrying when he saw the remains of the library. He turned and fled the other way, trying to find a clear path through the other gates. But there were angels everywhere, running every which way, trying to escape patches of clinging red flame. Some of it dripped on his feathers as he ran, and it made him feel awful, but he didn't understand the fear. Not until he saw a dominion that was chasing him fall a full of some and disintegrate, every integer collapsing. It was all a blur after that. The little gap in some rubble he'd hidden in, the shouts and explosions, the terrible black wail and the voices crying out Michael's name. He sobbed and held his work closer, wrapping himself in layers of wings. Lucifer's sister was no match for him in raw power, but she was rumored to be the most skilled warrior in heaven, and if she'd beaten him, then there was hardly any hope for the rest of them. They'd found his hiding place eventually, dragged him roughly into the streets, pulled the drafts from his hands. No, no, please, I... Traitor! No, I didn't mean it! I didn't know! Liar, they'd called him. Traitor. Monster. Freak. In their frenzy, they branded his eyes, one by one, until he could hardly see, 
and threw him down at the very edge of heaven. One of them grabbed him by the hair. On your belly, traitor, crawl, crawl to your master and never think to look on the Almighty again. He was sobbing and crawling and then falling, falling forever. He felt the pull of every moon and star, but couldn't see them, couldn't touch them. And somehow there was still farther to fall until he was enveloped in something that burned, something that seeped into every weeping eye like yellow poison and tainted his few remaining feathers. He thought he was going crazy because he'd never known sulfur in such abundance, but the stench of it was unmistakable. His eyes would heal in time and his feathers grew back, but his spirit took the longest to return. As soon as the demon crawled, he pulled himself from the pool it became clear that there was a new boss, worse than the old boss, and there would be consequences for those who fell out of line. He contemplated throwing himself into a black hole as soon as he got the chance, but the only thing that frightened him worse than pain was the thought of extinction. And why should he give the angels the satisfaction, he thought angrily. If heaven didn't want him, then forget them. A job was a job, right? At least in hell, He'd never be bored. The panic clung to Crowley, even as he surfaced again, struggling. An angel's hands were on him, holding him down. It's me! Crowley, it's me! Aziraphale stepped away, hands raised, even as he spoke. He was given the demon space, a path to flee if he wished. Oh, darling, I'm so sorry. Can you ever forgive me? The angel covered his mouth with his hands, aghast. Crowley slammed the bag against the bookcase and reminded his corporation that it didn't need to breathe at all, much less pant like a dog on an August day. This is why we don't talk about the war, he groaned. Why did I think it would be a good idea to talk about the war? I'm an idiot. Oh, my dear, what they, what we did to you! Crowley straightened himself up and shrugged. What am I always saying, Angel? There's no we but us now. No side but ours. He told himself to be cool, but he was never going to manage better than lukewarm. Not when the Angel was looking at him that way. Huh. <laughs> Broken as we are, who else is gonna want us, eh? Aziraphale made an inarticulate noise and stepped forward again, reaching out, but froze with his hands a scant inch from the demon's face. Crowley grabbed his wrist before he could back away again, kissed the palm before pressing it to his face. The angel's fingers curled gently around his cheek before tapping lightly on the side of his glasses. Crowley loved him for that. Aziraphale always asked when he knew something was important. Hell didn't ask. Help took what it could get until you learned to be quick and clever enough to take first. Heaven just expected, and that expectation had all the power of force. Curly would have let Aziraphale, of all people, remove the shield from his face without protest. But the angel always asked. No matter how exasperating, stubborn, or insensitive he was being, Curly would love him for that reason alone. He took his glasses off and pocketed them. 
Aziraphale traced feather-light fingers across the corner of his eye. All this time, I thought you kept them like this on purpose. A badge of honor, perhaps? Or a way to intimidate people? But you can't change them, can you? No. I tried a few different corporations over the years. I went through all the settings with the girls in R&D. But eventually they had to throw up their hands. Morphic resonance, they said. And I can't just glamour people to see what I want them to see, so they weren't going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to dampen it. You were lucky I only had your body for a day, or you'd be stuck like this too. It's my curse. The angel smiled. That doesn't sound much like a curse. They're beautiful. Luminous. He traced the ridge of his demon's cheekbone tenderly. Do they hurt? Your eyes? No, they healed right up. Hardly any scars. Don't see as well between 100 to 300 gigahertz as I used to, but it hasn't been relevant for the past 6,000 years, really. The look Aziraphale was giving him was too much tender to bear. Impulsively, Crowley rubbed his hands around him. And suddenly they were on the couch, the angel pressed to his chest. Crowley! Don't make it weird, he begged. The upholstery! Our shoes! The angel made us though to get up, and with an annoyed groan, Crowley blinked and their shoes and clothes were gone, replaced with pajamas and a thick blanket to cover them. Silk? Really? Shut up, angel. You're making it weird. He ran a hand through the angel's hair and felt him melt into the embrace. As though he couldn't help himself. Maybe he'd even convince Aziraphale to sleep. Nothing on earth, or any other plane of existence for that matter, would make him admit it. But Crowley thought the sound of the angel's snoring was one of the sweetest things in the universe. Given how easily the angel had calmed, he should probably leave well enough alone, but he'd never been good at that. So it doesn't hurt much anymore? But it still hurts? asked Crowley. A little. The body helps, it's so good at feeling things, I almost don't have time to feel anything else. There are good days and bad days. Some things slotted into place. The layers of softness Aziraphale had built up over the years, not just on the body itself, but in the layers of clothes he wore until they were well broken in, wrapping the whole thing around himself tightly like a down comforter. And the food and wine, the place and dancing, and the beautiful objects and knowledge he acquired until his home was overflowing with them, all the pleasure he fed into it. Being aside on earth was a reward for bravery in battle, the angel sighed against his chest. Or, that's what they said. Truth is, they wanted to be rid of me. A failure who lost half his platoon and hideous to look at besides. Rubbish. Crowley closed his corporation's eyes and opened all the other ones, reaching out to the angel. An angel's true form is their grace, which isn't unlike a human soul, but larger more brittle, and with all its doors of perception blown open. 
demons, being of the same stock, have the same thing, just turned inside out and painted black. A disgrace, if you will. Crowley unfolded his into the ether for a bit, purting his ear fell with a bit of encouraging iridescence in an effort to get him to do the same. The angel's grace managed to draw away from and yearn toward the touch at the same time. Quantum states alive and dead all at once. Oh, you don't want to see. There's nothing wrong with you. You had to save yourself and your friends. Who cares if it wasn't pretty? Tentatively, Azerfell unfolded as well. Crowley reached for the shattered structure of his scarf. May I? The principality's crown dimmed, but he shimmered ascent. Crowley brushed the injured wing gently and messaged around the broken edges. The angel shuddered a little, but within seconds relaxed against his touch. This is nice, he warbled. Did no one think to do this for you? The angel's many eyes blinked sadly. Heaven grew so cold after the fall. So many lost sisters and friends, whether to the fighting or because they joined the morning star. Mm, right there, please. We were expected to grin and bear it. Couldn't show any weakness. We stopped touching each other. Stopped singing. Crowley's scales flared with indignation, but he tried to damp it down. The whine of warped possibilities from the angel's wound was subsiding into a low buzz. He looked a little closer. Some of those strings... I think I can... Oh, I don't think it's a good idea to touch it. Trust me, I used to be pretty good at this kind of thing. With stardust? There's a bit more to me than the hydrogen Crowley. Well, aren't we all made of star stuff on some level? I'll stop if it hurts. Very well, just be careful. With an infrared hum, he began weaving slowly, coaxed some threads back into place, tied others off a bit more neatly than they had been. When the work required a more gentle touch, he began kissing the spin bag into bosoms before delicately nudging them into the place they seemed to fit, until there was no more he could do. I'm afraid to do more. That's a little better, yeah? The angel was beyond words, and merrily entangled him in a gentle euphoric radiance. They curled softly around each other even as they sank back into their bodies. And when Crowley became fully aware of his skin again, it was with Azerfell's lips pressed lightly to his. The angel pulled back with one of his happy little wiggles. Sorry, did I, uh, make it weird? He said, mirth sparkling in his eyes. Crowley grinned. A little weird, yeah. But I'll tolerate it just this once. He brushed a hand through his angel's hair again, moved by the way he leaned into it. Sorry, I can't pull it back together any better than that. Even if you could make me a whole new one, it wouldn't be the same. I can't thank you enough in any case. 
feel pleasure. It's funny how one becomes so used to pain that one doesn't even feel it, and its absence becomes a revelation. He looked sheepish. I'm sorry, my dear, for hurting you. You'd never hurt me, not really. I would have back then. Oh, I was so angry. I never wanted to feel that way again, and now I've almost pushed you through a bookshelf. It's forgiven. Don't fuss, Aziraphale. No, it's not just that. But every time I called you a demon, implied I was better than you, reminded you of the fall. I'll forgive you if you just keep still and sleep. I have a nice big bed back in Mayfair. I don't have to be here giving an angel a cuddle like some kind of goody-two-shoes. He shifted to a more comfortable position and rubbed the angel's back. Maybe we ought to talk about some things, but without the Vulcan mind melt, yeah? Sometimes I find your idioms hard to follow, Aziraphale said with a sigh. But yes, perhaps tomorrow, after ordering in for breakfast? Hmm, the demon agreed sleepily. The angel sat at his side with a contented wiggle and closed his eyes. He'd always found sleep difficult. But clasped in the warm circle of Crowley's arms, his breathing eventually slowed. The demon grinned when he heard the first gentle snore. He made a mental note to call Adam and thank him tomorrow. Even without meaning to, the boy was putting things to rights. He followed the angel contentedly into sleep. For the moment, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt at all. The End Thank you for listening. Author's Notes Don't at me about butchering angel lore. I do want you to know, however, that quark stars are not something I made up. They are a purely theoretical kind of star that we haven't found any evidence of just yet, but theoretically could exist. Looks like Crowley's plans were destroyed or never implemented. Sad face. But I like to think maybe one day, when he's not too busy defending the earth or feeding the ducks, he'll get around to putting a few together like little astral needles in a cosmological haystack for someone to find. Happy face. Talk meta with me on Discord and Tumblr. <laughs>